Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Glad to see uh, us bounce back from that July 4th crowd that was kind of, ooh. So I think I threw something on the ground. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Psalms, Psalm 127 in just a few minutes. A couple things just to mention. We have uh, teenagers leaving for camp in the morning. There's about 60 folks that are leaving, so y'all pray for them as they go. Um, a big group of teenagers and adult leaders who will be attending that. So y'all pray for them as they travel. Um, I will be going with them. I will be out of the office for a couple of weeks. So just FYI, I'll be with our teenagers this week. Uh, The best thing about it is I get to go and I'm just a warm body. There's enough adult leaders that I really don't get. It's great. Um, But uh, I will go and then I'm on vacation the next week. So Uh, Just know that I will be out of pocket. Everything will be just fine without me, I promise. But um, just FYI, that is uh, how things are going to look. You can see other things are listed in your bulletin. Do pray for our kids. And then in just a couple weeks, our children, children, so our our elementary school kids are going to be going to their own camp. So keep them in prayer. I know it's summertime and many of you have a lot of things going on, but uh, the Lord has a unique way of working in the lives of children and teenagers when they get away from Uh, the busyness of life. So y'all do pray for them as they go over the next few weeks and experience all that God has for them. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Psalm 127. I guess I should have turned when you did, shouldn't I? Appreciate that courtesy laugh over there, whoever that was. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word. Here now, for this is the Word of the Lord. We're just going to read two verses this morning. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you'd help us to take a break. Lord, to actually be comfortable and confident in the rest that you've given us. Lord God, to not find our sense of purpose in the things that we do, but Father God, to rest confident in all that you've done. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why are you worried? Why are you worried? That's the question we want to wrestle with this morning. And I get to wrestle with you this morning as a bit of a hypocrite, because this is why. This morning, I woke up knowing what I was going to preach. I slept like trash last night as I'm going to talk with you all about resting. I slept pretty terribly until about 5.30, and then everything, all, no, about, it was earlier than that, it was about 5. And then, man, great sleep until I had to be up shortly thereafter, right? We've been there. And then I woke up this morning and was completely overwhelmed with all of the things that I've got to get done. So I really did. I felt like an absolute hypocrite knowing that I'm going to be preaching to y'all about not worrying and preaching to y'all about rest. And yet I myself was wrestling with those overwhelmed feelings that come when the to-do list gets longer and longer and you just can't seem to get anything to done, right? That's kind of where I've been. But this morning, so this morning I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. And we're confident that the Lord speaks to all of us in these times. Why are you worried? One of my favorite comedy sketches of all time is from Bob Newhart. If you're under the age of 30, you don't even know who that is, okay? I get it, but you'll go home and Google this one later, and it's okay. Uh, In this sketch, Bob Newhart's a therapist. Y'all seen this one before? And a lady walks in, and she sits down in front of him. He's behind his desk, 
And uh, he explains the rules. And she says, okay, what is it you need? And she says, I am afraid of being buried alive in a box. And he says, well, have you ever been buried alive in a box before? She said, no, but I'm terribly afraid of being buried alive in a box. He says, is there anything else that you're afraid of? Well, I'm I'm afraid of of tunnels and anything boxy. I just get so afraid in those moments. And Bob Newhart looks at her. And Bob Newhart says, I have a piece of advice I'd like to give to you. Two words. She said, can I write it down? He said, you can write it down if you like, but there's two words. Two words that I want you to always remember. And she says, okay, I'm ready. What is it? He said, stop it. And she says, what? Stop it. Don't be afraid of being buried alive in a box. That doesn't make any sense. Stop it. She says, well, I don't think that's very good advice. He said, well, you can't spend your whole life being afraid of being buried alive in a box. Stop it. Folks, when it comes to worry and anxiety, some of you probably need to hear, stop it. Some of you have looked in the mirror and said, stop it. And yet as many times as you've told yourself to stop, as many times as somebody else has told you to stop, it just seems like it keeps creeping back in, doesn't it? It sort of keeps running back in there. This morning, I want to encourage you to take a break from your worries, to be comfortable and confident in rest, because the psalmist teaches us that the Lord gives to his beloved sleep. This morning, I want to see three things that I hope will help you to wrestle with worry. The first thing this morning, the Psalms teach us right here in Psalm 127, is that the Lord builds the house. The Lord builds the house. Matter of fact, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now listen, wrapped up in this verse, or in these verses rather, is an assumption of work. There are still people working here today, right? So just, I want to get that out of the way so none of you can walk out and go, he doesn't appreciate hard work. I want you to listen to me this morning. I value hard work. But for some of you, your greatest sin in life is that you're so convinced with the value of hard work that you've forgotten that God's already taken care of everything. You didn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm going to say that again. I don't care how hard you work. You didn't do it. For some of y'all, that's frustrating and angering. But unless the Lord gave you some particular opportunities in your life, you couldn't have done it. Unless the Lord gave you good enough health, you couldn't have done it. Unless the Lord gave you those those breaks at just the right time, you couldn't have done it. Well, you don't know where I came from. I don't know where you came from, and I'm still here to tell you today that unless the Lord had built up the house for you, you would be laboring in vain. Right? So let's just get that out of the way. Now, we can take a deep breath. We're not talking about work today. We're talking about rest. And it's actually okay. All right? All right. So the Lord builds the house. Often, the process of building a house doesn't look like what you envision. If you, if you want to build something, but before a board can be purchased, plans have to be drawn. Sometimes soil has to be tested. Before a wall can be built, footers have to be dug and poured. What's even worse than building a new house is what? Trying to remodel or add on to an old or existing house, isn't it? Or an old or existing church building, as we did here one time before. Some very counterintuitive things take place. Before you can add on to a building, sometimes you've got to tear part of it down. It doesn't seem to make much good sense. As a matter of fact, before we even began the process of adding on to this building, what they did is they came in and they started pouring concrete around the edge of the existing building. It was necessary that they reinforce the footers and they add on to the footers and, and, and everything around this building, or excuse me, what was this building, so that they could add all the rest of this building. 
Some of that seemed kind of counterintuitive. Why are we doing all these things that nobody's going to be able to see? One of the things that happened when this building was expanded is uh, a whole lot of the money to expand this building was put into things that you will never, ever see. There are gigantic steel columns that are existing in these corners and across that, and it cost a small fortune. It probably costs three times that now, right? It costs a small... Do you know, unless you were here during the construction process, you have no idea that those are there. Probably the most expensive thing in this building is something nobody even gets to see. But it's there, it's necessary. Sometimes the, the process of building things up it seems sort of counterintuitive. Folks, I want to remind you this morning that the Lord builds the house. Don't forget it. The Lord builds it. And sometimes the process of building the house doesn't seem to fit with exactly what we would anticipate or expect. What house are we talking about here? Your house, right? Maybe your physical home? Eh, probably not. More your, your family, your household. The Lord builds your church. The Lord builds your personal life. The Lord builds the house. And unless the Lord builds it, then guess what? We labor in vain. Ultimately, the Lord is the purpose, the cause, the primary cause behind all of these things we experience in life. God is building the house. Let me encourage you this morning. Trust the process. Trust the process. God is building the house. When I used to work out in a public gym... A lot. There was always um, personal trainers that were in and out, and and they usually would be working one on one with somebody. And I can't tell how many times I've I've heard those personal trainers look at somebody else and say, "Just trust the process." And and the person they were working with said, "Well, it doesn't make any sense." Occasionally, I've I've seen trainers say things like, they "Tell them give give somebody a diet," and the person would say, "Well, I feel like this is more than I was eating before." And they say, "I want you to just trust the process. Just trust it." Not today, not tomorrow. Our goal is a little bit further out. It's going to seem a little bit weird for a minute, but trust the process. When it comes to our spiritual lives, our families, it's not always easy. But folks, we need to trust that God is at work in the process. Last week, I preached about patience in checkout lines, for those of you who were here. It seemed this week as though the Lord put me in about 100 different situations to practice what I preached. Let me give you a few stories. I pulled, and this one was the worst by far. It, it, was, it was like a combination of, of fighting against road rage and sort of waiting in line rage. I, I pulled up to get gas. This was Friday morning. I won't tell you where, just in case somebody drove by and saw me sitting in my truck, like grind, like digging my fingernails into the steering wheel. I pulled in to get gas. And I, I noticed that the pumps were all full. What I didn't realize when I pulled in and backed or got in line to get gas is that there was nobody in any of the vehicles at the pumps at the gas station that I pulled to. Nobody. Literally every single pump was occupied by a vehicle whose driver was inside the building. I don't know what they were doing. I mean, I wait. This is no lie. I waited five minutes. And there was nobody in there, nobody doing anything. And then that guy came out, and he didn't come and pump gas in his car. He came out and got in his car and pulled off. He was in, I, I just know he was buying lottery tickets. I just know he was. <laughs> Y'all, I wanted to get out and scream, you could have pulled your car up and let me pump gas. And I was like, wait a minute, aren't you the moron that preached about this last week? Trust the process, right? What, Lord, what are you teaching me in this moment? What are you teaching me? The grocery store line this week, every time I went to the grocery store, they were backed up to the meat counter, I promise you. 
just yesterday we had to buy some shoes for the kids. Long story short, uh, went into a, a, a store and they didn't have what we needed in stock. And so the guy had to order it for me online. I have never had such an experience in all my life. He had to use three different devices to get one with a battery that worked. But look, he couldn't figure out that he needed a new device until he'd gone all the way through the checkout process. He checked me out three times before he was able to actually take my card. And the whole time I'm like gnawing on the counter, um, you know, and, uh, and I'm trying to be patient. I'd already asked to pray for a lady at, at uh, one of the cash registers, so I knew that I had to represent Jesus well, but all I wanted to do was to break something. Well, so we trust the process that the Lord's actually doing something to us, even in those seemingly mundane, everyday experiences of life? Do we trust the process with our children when we're fighting them to get them to church on a Sunday morning and literally fighting them to get them? Or do you trust the process that in the middle of all that, that God's going to do something, that he's, he's at work? Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. But, but also, we don't just trust the process. We need to beware of our own understanding. Beware of your own understanding. I'll let you know a little secret. God knows more than you do. God knows more than you do. I had somebody do some work for me not too long ago, and we had to purchase some pipe, and, and, uh, and I said, well, don't you think we should buy this? And I appreciate what, what this guy said. He said, if you want to do the job, you can buy that. But if I'm doing the job, this is what we're doing. I said, well, but, but. He goes, do you do this? I said, you know what? That's right. I don't. I don't, I don't have any idea. I don't know what we're going to do here. I go to the dentist. I hate the dentist. I was at the dentist with uh, Sloan the other day, and the dentist said, we, I, Daddy, Daddy, he looked at me and said, Dad, I think we need to do this. Are you, are you okay with that? I said, Brother, you, you tell me what to do. I don't know what you're doing. I don't want your job. Some kind of sadism that you're into, hurting people's mouths like that. I don't want anything to do with it. I trust that you know what you're doing. Folks, do we trust the Lord in the process? Do we trust Him? He knows more than we do. Don't forget how limited is your understanding. Be careful. Just because you know something doesn't mean that you know everything. And I promise you I have to look in the mirror when I say that. Just because you know something doesn't mean that you know everything. Now that's about every experience of life. It's especially true about your spiritual journey with Christ. He knows more than you do, and you can trust Him. You can put your hand right there in His and trust Him. The Lord will build the house. The second thing we see this morning is that the Lord keeps watch over His house. So watch. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So again, we see that we have a watchman that's doing his job. We have a builder that's doing his job. These are what we'd, we would call secondary purposes, right? But primary is the Lord who is overseeing all of this. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord watches over the house, the Lord keeps watch over his house. When, when my kids, especially in the past, they're all getting older now, but when my kids have had a bad dream, I've always said the same thing to them. When they, they've come to me with a bad dream, I'm here. As long as I'm here, you're safe. It's really good when they're little, when they're really little because they... They, they just think that daddy can do everything, right? And so you're safe, and then I'll pray with them. Lord, keep them safe as they sleep. Well, the Bible teaches us that the Lord is keeping watch over his own house. Turn with me over to John chapter 10. That's in the New Testament. So if you're in Psalms right now, just turn 
toward the end of your Bible, about halfway between where you are and the end. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you get to Acts or Romans, you've gone too far. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you understand that the Lord is keeping watch over his house? His house is safe. His locks are secure. He will not let you go. Listen, worry robs you of effectiveness and rest. And we worry about so much, and yet the biggest things in life, the Lord's got it under control. Your eternal security rests in the hands of a God who holds you safe and secure. He has you. He has you. Do you know that if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you need not fear that someone will one day come along and unseat you from his table you belong to him period end of discussion God's got you so often we allow worry to rob us well folks before we get into any other aspects of worry let's just consider the fact that our eternity is secure in Christ eternity I'm not talking about tomorrow I'm talking about all of the tomorrows they're safe and secure in Jesus how many of you can look back at the thing that you worried about on July the 10th, 2021? How many of the things that you worried about one year ago today really matter now? How many of them? Now, there's some things that might have bothered you, but for most of us, look. The things that were so consuming our brain on this day a year ago have completely faded into the background. You know what's consuming my brain right now? I have to get packed for two trips. That's what's consuming my brain. That's, that's, that's it. It's, it's not a big deal. I got a couple little things I got to tend to around the house. It's, it's not that much. But if I'm not careful, I'll allow all of that to sort of grab me and just take over. A year from now, that won't matter. Two years from now, and I promise you in eternity, none of that is going to matter. And the Bible says that God holds me there in eternity, safe and secure. I am not going anywhere safe in his hand be careful sometimes worry will rob us of effectiveness and rest while you're worrying do you know what you're not doing you're not resting how many of you are able to rest in the middle of your worry now i i i, I gotta tell you i don't worry about many things in life and, and the, i'm very grateful for that um but there are five things that I have to fight against because my wife and my four children will rob me of sleep. Not, not because they do anything wrong. I, those, those are the people that I have to battle against worry. Right? When, when, it, when I have to get, face of, get serious with the Lord, it's, Lord, help me to trust you with my children and my wife i got to battle that in my life. I love y'all. I don't worry about y'all. Y'all good. Right? i got a handful of worries. i got to battle with them. i got to fight it. But look, when we're worrying, we're not resting. 
You lay in bed and you think about all the things that could happen or should happen or might happen, and you know what you're not doing? You're not doing anything. You're not sleeping. You're just watching the clock take away the time. Worry robs you of rest. But watch, worry also robs you of your effectiveness. Worry robs you of your effectiveness and your efficiency. Because while you're worried about what might happen tomorrow, you're not, you're not fully present and focused on the thing that you're doing right now. We tend to make mistakes when we're worried about what's coming up tomorrow. We tend to miss things that we should have been doing today. Even worse, we tend to ignore the people right in front of us when we're worried about what's going to happen next week. It robs us of relationships. Bob Newhart's advice to a worrier was, Stop it! You know, Jesus' command is a little bit different. Turn with Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Again, New Testament. This is before you get to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, then Luke and John. Matthew chapter 6. We're gonna, I'm going I'm to read this entire section to you from God's Word. These are Jesus' words speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Beginning in chapter 6, verse 25. I'll be honest with you. Some of you might, might not even want to read along in this. Some of you just need to allow this to wash over you because some of you need to hear this. Therefore, I tell you, remember these are Jesus' words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They never toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first... The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One of my friends likes to urge, don't borrow trouble. So often we're borrowing trouble from tomorrow and bringing it into today. Jesus says, do not be anxious. There it is. Stop it. But he doesn't end right there, does he? He says, take off that anxiousness and replace it with something that matters more. Rather than seeking your anxiety, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And everything else will be added. Seek first the kingdom of God. How should you combat worry? By focusing your mind and attention on the things of the Lord. Oh, let me... Let me step into something that's a little bit uncomfortable this morning. See, Jesus gives us a command not to worry. 
a command not to be anxious. That means that when we are living in our worry and anxiety, we are living in sin. Now, in our culture of therapy, to suggest that worry or anxiety is a sin grates some of you the wrong way. Let me, let me work this out. When we say that something is a sin, what we are saying is that it misses the mark of what God has intended for us. And there are many things that are gross sins. And by gross, I mean huge, blatant sin. You understand? There, there are other things that are sin because they are not the way that God intended for us to be. We're not living in accordance with the way that God created us. Uh, we, we live in a world that has been distorted by sin. Just because, just because something is hard for us to get rid of doesn't mean that it is not sinful. Just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean that it is not sinful. Okay? Sin is not just the things that we do. Remember, it is who we are. That's what the Bible teaches us. We are sinners by nature. Anything we do that separates us from God and the people that we love is sinful in nature. Now, the great news is that Jesus died to set us free from our sin. What does that have to do with medical conditions? Folks, I want you to understand the reason that sickness exists in the world is because sin exists in our world. Do you understand? There was no cancer or death until Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. What does that say about mental health struggles and disorders? We're not saying those things aren't real. What I want you to understand is that all of that comes about as a result of the fall. Our goal has to always be to align our hearts and minds and soul with the commands and the teaching of Christ. And Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How many of you have ever found yourself consumed with the pursuit of God's glory and at the same time overwhelmed by worries about tomorrow. Folks, I don't want to paint this as a quick or simple fix. I don't want anybody to walk out of here today and say, Pastor Craig said I'm a bad Christian because I battle with worry or anxiety. I did not say that. What I'm telling you is that in the process of sanctification, we will constantly be giving our worries over to Christ. For some of you, your worry might be similar to whatever Paul's thorn in the flesh was. I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It's probably a deacon, one of those mean ones. I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. For some of you, battling anxiety could be the thorn in your flesh. But do you understand there's a difference between battling it 
and cuddling with it. This is true for any sin in our lives. For some of you, it's, it's addiction. And you will live your entire life battling the temptation to not take the next drink or the next hit. When Paul prayed to the Lord, take this from me, God's response to Paul was that my grace is sufficient. Here's what I want you to know today. If it feels at times like you will never win the battle with your anxiety, that it will be with you forever, I can't promise you it will go away tomorrow, but here's what I want you to know. The one who holds tomorrow holds you in that place. His grace is sufficient for your worries and your anxieties. His grace is sufficient. And if it feels as though those things are grinding you down into the ground, here's what I want you to know, is that that is the place where Christ meets you. In your weakest, brokest, most vulnerable place is often your most usable place. Do you find yourself handcuffed by your worries and your anxieties? Give it to the Lord. You say, but Craig, I did that. You might have to do it. You ready for this? Every single day. You might. And it might be that in the process of every day, multiple times a day, giving the Lord that worry, giving the Lord that anxiety, giving it, giving it, giving, that over time you discover that that's, you ready? The process that Christ is using to make you more like Him. The Lord keeps watch over His house. And you can trust Him. And then finally this morning, or third, the Lord gives rest to His people. As Americans, we often live in a productivity trap. I mean, how many people do you know who brag about how little sleep they get? I've got a really great book in my office called The Radical Pursuit of Rest. It's excellent. It's just an effort and a book written to try and reorient our, our approach to rest. I don't know if you know this, but God commanded a Sabbath rest for his people. God himself rested. He doesn't even need it, and he took it. And he's given us, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He's created us to need rest, and then as if that weren't enough, He even hardwired in a day of rest, a whole day of rest. Not like two hours of rest, a whole day. We don't really appreciate Sabbath the way that the ancient world did, because honest and truly, even those of you that work harder than, than most in here still don't have the kind of life that the ancient, that the ancient people did in, in the Near East, Right? They were working from sunup to sundown on absolutely everything. And so when the time came for them to rest, when God said stop, literally it was boom, we're done. We are doing nothing all day long. From sundown to sundown, we are resting. They earned it, and the Lord gave it to them. It set them apart from the world around them. And this is something as believers we need to understand. Other pagan cultures didn't practice a day of rest. 
They may have worshipped in the temples, but they didn't practice a Sabbath day of rest. Their gods didn't give them rest, right? Their false gods demanded more, more, more from them. And the God of Israel said, I've had enough. I need you to take a break. One of the greatest things that followers of Jesus can do to witness to God's goodness toward us and our faith in Him is to regularly take a day of rest. Now look, some of you work swing shifts and things like that. I'm not coming at you. I'm thankful that we have police officers on the streets on Sundays, okay? Really grateful for nurses that are making sure that people are taken care of on Sundays. I'm not coming at you for that. But here's what I'm telling you. If you work on Sundays, you need to find another day during the week that you can set aside. And in so doing, we're giving the Lord glory for that. He has given us rest. We rest because we are people created in the image of a God who rests. We rest in the finished work of Christ. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we don't need to be bragging about how busy we are. Okay? There need to be times when we're bragging about the God who has given us an opportunity to rest. There are times when we need to sit around and say, you know what, I took today off. Because God gave me a day off and I'm just going to trust everything's going to be okay tomorrow. The Lord gives rest to his people. We need to not spoil the gift of rest. How might you spoil the gift of rest? By refusing to rest or allowing other things to rob you of rest? What are the things that might rob you of rest? All the things, right? All the things that you have that day set aside for rest and instead of actually resting, you've packed it full of 187 things that you need to get done. Now, we all rest differently. I get it. Some, some people, you know, for me, because I work behind a desk, I'll be honest with you, I, uh, my, a lot of times I, I really get rest by, by exercising on Sunday afternoons. That, that refreshes me, getting outside on Sunday afternoons. If you work in the heat all week, I'm going to tell you the last thing you probably need to be doing on Sunday afternoon is sweating. Everybody's going to be a little bit different. We need to spoil it. We also can spoil it by refusing to rest. I want to be careful. I, gotta say, I should have written this one out because I might mess this up. All right. Parents, don't spoil the gift and the need for rest by constantly filling your children's schedule with things. And, parents, recognize that you are the parents. This is an important thing. When the time comes for, you know, vacation... It's important a lot of times to look around and go, okay, who needs it the most around here? Okay, It is rarely anyone under the age of 18. Right? Parents, be careful always filling up a vacation with so much that you come back exhausted just because you wanted to, because the kids need it. That's a lie. They don't need it. Their life is a vacation. They're fine. You need it. Okay? One of my sisters-in-law likes to differentiate between a, a vacation and a trip. I think that's pretty smart, right? You work when you're on a trip. You rest when you're on a vacation. Folks, the Lord has called us and created us to need rest. The ancient Israelites, what did God give them over and over and over again? Festival, festival, festival. Feast, feast, feast. 
Right? We just came through the 4th of July. I love it. I, I, I love the 4th. I love to have a day off to fill up my tummy with everything that everybody cooks and have a good time and enjoy my family. But just to, to, to chick, to, can't even speak, just kind of kick back and relax. But guess what? We're not sinful for that. We're not. God gave them multiple feast days and festivals. I go on vacation in two weeks. You know what I'm looking for after, after vacation? Thanksgiving. I'm done with summer. We're done, right? At that point, get through Halloween. It's dumb anyway. And we are straight on to the good stuff. And it's filled with opportunities for us to rest, to feast, to celebrate God's goodness and to enjoy one another. Parents, listen to me. It's fine if you want to take your kids to Timbuktu and see all the things. That's great. I'm not hating on you. I, I do, however, want to set you free from the idea that you got to keep up with the Joneses with your vacation. You're creating worry on your vacation because you spent yourself in a debt to give your kids the most amazing trip they ever had, and you came back, and the only thing you had was a mountain of debt, and you're exhausted. You didn't make your family any better because you're mad at your kids for the next six weeks because you're, you're frustrated with them because they spent all your money and all your time. You did it. You did it. Okay? How do we spoil the gift of rest? By filling up what's supposed to be our rest days with everything other. Make sure that you rest. What's the other ugly one right here? Be real careful. You get your kids involved in so many activities that you rob yourself of regular rest. Okay? Sporting events that take, that, that, that take up your whole weekend. Sporting events and whatever activity that take up half your Sundays. Guess what? You're robbing yourself of God's commanded rest. Not to mention the need to have your children in the church. The Lord gives rest to His people. So be careful they won't spoil the gift. And then finally this morning, learn to say thank you. Now, and thank you to the Lord. I, I had a professor in college, and he, he paid me a compliment. I, it was rare, I promise. But he, he paid me a compliment, and um, I, I, it just it, it unnerved me. I just, I just kind of changed the subject and kept moving on. And he stopped me, looked me in the eye, and we, we, we were seated, and uh, we were sitting down. He's a, a, a shorter guy, um, um, lifelong bachelor. And he looked me in the eye, and he said, Craig, you need to learn, you need to learn to receive thanks or to, to receive praise from people. I said, what? You need to learn to do that, and you need to learn to say thank you. You're going to offend somebody. I wasn't trying to be offensive. I was just made uncomfortable by the fact that this guy was praising me. But what I didn't understand is that he was right. I'd responded in an aloof kind of way. He said, Craig, you've got to fix that in your life. When's the last time that you literally took time to thank the Lord for giving you a break, a rest? Our thanks can be literal, but our thanks can also come when we pursue rest. What would it look like to pursue rest? One of the reasons that my, my, um, my to-do list is so long is because I have a couple of things that have deadlines that need to be finished. And if I don't get them done in the next week, I might have to do some of that work while I'm on vacation, right? 
I am radically pursuing rest by getting as much done right now as possible so that I can appreciate that rest. So some of the ways that we would even thank the Lord for a day of rest, a Sabbath, would be to look forward to it, to prepare for it, to anticipate it. And you don't necessarily have to go into weeks worth of planning for every Sunday. But sometimes planning for a day of rest might mean something as simple as making sure there's leftovers to have for lunch so nobody has to cook lunch tomorrow. We know that there's sandwiches for lunch at our house today, and I'm so happy. They've already been, they, they're like the little subs, they've already been purchased, they're in the refrigerator, and the preparation was this. Hey guys, don't ask for anything for lunch tomorrow because you can go home and fix your own sandwich. Yes! Nailed it! Sometimes they're big things, sometimes they're small, but we can pursue it. When I close my eyes at night, watch, I can do so with confidence that the Lord has given me rest and will handle the world while I am asleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Lord, when I sleep, I'm trusting you to keep me. As a father, when I sleep, I'm trusting him to keep my children and my wife and my house. I walk away from my phone a good bit. I eat dinner without my phone at the table. Usually in another room. The world can give me 30 minutes around a kitchen table with my family. And if whatever y'all need from me can't wait 30 minutes, you need to call 911 anyway. Okay? And I'll meet the ambulance there. Rest. God has given it to us. Y'all, we have perverted this thing. And every time we find a moment where we could rest, we try to pack it full of something else. And if we're totally honest, why? Because we are anxious about clothing, or we are anxious about what we're going to do or eat or drink. Why do we pack it full? Because we're anxious about what others might think. Or about what our kids might get to experience. Or about what the world might see in us. And yet, we are allowed and encouraged to rest in the Lord. For He gives to His beloved sleep. Learn to say thank you. Now finally, we say thank you when we make Rest a point of praise. When's the last time that you laid down to sleep at night and you said, thank you, God, that I get to rest tonight? There was a time in my life when I, I saw sleep as an encumbrance to effectiveness or to productivity. And, I, and I've, I've said it out loud. I could get so much more done in life. I didn't have to sleep. You know who doesn't have to sleep? The eternal God of the universe. 
I'm not eternal. I am not God. He's created me to need sleep. But then like so many other things, He's loved us enough to create us in such a way that sleep is enjoyable. Look, are there lazy people in the world? Absolutely. We'll preach that sermon another day. Today, I want to encourage you. Don't be ashamed of needing sleep. You know, scientists tell us we need somewhere between six and eight hours every day anyway. Right? Don't be ashamed of it. Own it. Turn the TV off. Go to bed. I love y'all. Jesus, give me a nap. I'm going to take it. Why are you worried? As we finish this morning, we don't rest and we worry because we do not trust. You understand that? We don't trust. I don't get my eight hours of sleep at night because I don't trust in the Lord who created me to need it. I don't take my Sabbath rest because I don't trust that the Lord actually created me to need it. I don't trust His good gift to me. I don't know if you've ever given somebody a gift and saw them not use it. Sometimes it kind of sits sideways with us, doesn't it? Imagine the Lord gives us this great gift of Sabbath rest. And we just refuse to use it. To enjoy it. To experience it. As your kids get older, there's a lot of good things that come with that, right? There's also some loss that comes with that. Um, and, and, and to some degree, the sense of awe and wonder begins to fade a little bit. We have to work to keep that in them, you know. Um, but uh, uh, I, I love to go to the movies. I hate that I have to take out a loan to go to the movies, but I love to go to the movies. Um, and if I go to see a movie, I want all the popcorn, like all the popcorn with all the butter I want the big gulp that I can get refills on, and I want them to pause it so I can go use the bathroom in the middle of the movie. <laughs> okay? They never do that. Um, but, like, when, when I get the popcorn, they said, would you like butter? And I say, yes. And they say, how much? I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put some popcorn in it and put butter on it. And then I'll put some more and put butter on it. And put some more and put butter on And then when you think you have enough butter, I want you to put twice as much because then you might be where I need you to be. And I love to go to the movies. But when I became a dad, I became, I became such, a, such a dad, you know, like the ultimate, like, like, you know, funny socks and all the other things, dad jokes, the whole nine yards. We all become these weird sentimental people when we have children. And when my kids were smaller, now they're grown and aggravating. When they were smaller, they were so fun. We'd take them to the movies. And I used to wish that I could get a, a special seat with my back to the screen I could watch them. White and Oliver are never this cool. Sloan and Brooklyn were always cooler. Right? But they all were. And little kids are this way. Parents, this is why I don't let your kids watch a lot of TV. Because if you let them watch a lot, they don't appreciate a movie this way. But the joy that I could see in the faces of my children during a movie. I, I would watch them. Can y'all still catch me on camera? I've got to be careful. I'd watch them as the movie went on. They'd move up a little closer to the edge of their seat, a little closer. And when they had those little short legs, you know, 
they, they just barely get their feet down. They're just sitting on the edge of their seat. They're like really, really good ergonomic positions, you know? They can't even hold their popcorn because they're so far to the edge. And their faces are just filled with joy. It'll cost you $100 to go to a movie. There have been times when I've looked at Angela and said, I got my $100 worth by looking at their faces. Well, probably not quite 100 But that was better for me than the movie. God has given us this gift of rest. And if that's what an earthly father can appreciate in giving an earthly gift to his children, how much more our heavenly father? Last kid story. Used to walk in and watch my kids sleep. I still do occasionally. They don't know it. Freaks them out because they're older. I used to walk in and I'd see a four-year-old laying in the bed. And I'd think, man, I bet I'm going to walk back in one day and they're going to be 18. And I'm still going to see that same four-year-old kid laying there. They're not quite 18, but I'm pretty sure that's what I still see. How many of his parents just here walk in just smile? Every once in a while, they even look sweet when they sleep. For some of them, they only look sweet when they sleep. They'll fold their hands. Brooklyn's awesome about that. She'll fold her little hands and sleep like that. And as a parent, I get great joy. Like almost a teary kind of joy. In providing a place where my children feel safe and comfortable. And they can sleep. They can rest. If I as a sinful earthly father. Can give these gifts to my children. How much more our heavenly father. This morning, simple invitation. Will you lay down your worries and your anxieties and rest in the Lord? Will you lay down your worries and your anxieties and rest in the Lord? Parents and grandparents, will you model rest before your children? Will you model rest before your children? Why won't you? Because we have this misplaced need to seem invincible and powerful. Instead, we can look to the God of the universe and say, Children, I need a nap today. God, God created me this way. We're all going to bed because God created us this way. And sleep is a gift and not a curse. Rest is a gift and not a curse. Not anything fancy this morning. Some of you need today, for the very first time in your life, 
to commit yourself to trusting the Lord enough to radically pursue rest. To trusting the Lord enough to rest in His arms. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God's got this. Will you trust Him this morning? This morning, if you'd like to pray, you can come up here and pray around this altar. This morning, if you would like someone to pray with you, I would love that opportunity. And finally, this morning, for those of you that showed up here today battling with anxiety and worry and stress, can I tell you that God stands ready to carry that burden for you? He's waiting to see you sit down on the edge of your seat and to give that to you or to give that to him. He's waiting to see the relief, the joy come to your face as you give away the burden. He paid an incredible price to take our pain, suffering, and hurt. And he did it because he loves you in spite of all of your struggles. Would you come today and give Christ your burdens? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we love you and praise you and thank you. You're enough. May we never lose sight of that. Father, we can rest because on the cross of Calvary, You took our pain, our sin, our shame, and our sorrow. You have finished the work that the Father sent you here to do. You have secured salvation for your children for all of eternity. And in you, we can find eternal rest. Help us, Father, who have been saved for eternity to enjoy that rest in this life. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing.